Last week, for those of you who weren't here, we uh, reviewed Matthew 1 through 14, looking at Matthew, the writer of this gospel we're studying. We're in Matthew 15 today, 1 through 20, but we reviewed this thread of grace that Matthew has written about, revealing Jesus as Messiah. And Jesus as Messiah fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies, but he pops on the scene and turns the world of the religious leaders upside down. Now this is hard for us to imagine the the chaos and the upheaval that he brought to the religious community. I want you just to imagine for a second, if you've been faithfully attending the same church for a long time and you know the pastor well, if somebody came in and just completely destroyed everything that that pastor had been doing for the last 20, 30 years, maybe 50 years. They just came in and said, everything he's teaching you is wrong. I mean, think about the upheaval that that would create and that, the stir that that would create. And so the religious leaders, they were, they were already fuming with Jesus, even though he was doing all these incredible things that fulfill prophecies that they were supposed to know and be looking for Messiah. They were still trying to kill him. And this event in Matthew 15 is one of the things that really drove them over the edge. When he clearly told them that, listen, all your worship is in vain because it's all external. And, and, and everything you do is just, you value all your traditions more than you do the actual Word of God. Now that was a slamming indictment against them. And, and for us, we don't, to really understand it, you need to understand this did not start off bad for them. They, they didn't start off going, okay, we're going we're gonna to only think about the outside. No, what happened is, if you go back and look at the history of Israel, God gives His Word to Moses. Moses then was instructed to get leaders, teach the leaders the law, train them in the law, and then for them to protect the law. And how did they protect it? Well, they built fences around it. In other words, if, if they were not supposed to go but five feet, what they did is they said, okay, we're going to build in a three-feet buffer. And that's what they did with the law, with everything. So you had this law upon law upon law, and all their traditions of what they had instituted, they, they started really valuing the ceremony and made it idolatrous because they valued it more than God's Word itself. After they were taken into captivity in Babylon and in, uh, when the Chaldeans came in, they never wanted to do that again. So when Ezra was around and they were rebuilding the temple, Ezra started recording the law. The law was written down uh, so that the people could know it. And then they started having oral commentary about what the law actually meant. You had all these rabbis who interpreted it and they would say, well, this is what this means. And, and it was kind of orally passed down until it was codified. So the, the oral translation, the oral tradition of interpreting the law was called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah actually was just nothing more than a bunch of guys saying, this is what we think it means. But pretty soon, the Mishnah was more important than the law. Imagine for a second, I take your favorite Bible study, whatever it is, your, your favorite Christian book. Uh, just take, uh, J.I. Packer wrote a book called Knowing God that's been very influential in the Christian world. Let's say I take that book, a very good, solid book, and I say, okay, 
this is what I'm going to study, this is what I'm going to teach, and all I teach is that book. Well, that book is J.I. Packer's commentary on the Bible. J.I. Packer's experiences about the Bible and J.I. Packer's um, thoughts on the Bible. That book is not inspired, but people do that all the time. I know people that take this book, Jesus Calling, and they treat that like the Bible. It's not the Bible. It's some lady who's giving her thoughts. And the Pharisees did the same thing where they lifted up these commentaries and made them more important than God's Word itself. And Jesus strongly condemns that. And we're very susceptible to do the same things in our culture today. And we're going to look at that. But, but you had the Mishnah, but then you had another thing called the Gemara. The Gemara was written commentaries uh, about Old Testament books. It wasn't about the Mishnah, but Old Testament books. So they took the Mishnah and the Gemara and they put that together and they called it the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. Have you ever heard of that? The Talmud was the Jewish. It was kind of like the Jewish writings, thick encyclopedic type writings that all religious leaders were needed to, to know and study. And it taught about their ceremonies. They had one whole section there in their own washing. And this wasn't washing because they didn't want to get germs. This was washing because they wanted to come before their meal and eat. They didn't want to put anything defiled into their body. Defiled because they had touched a Gentile. Defiled because they had touched something that had been bleeding. Defiled because they had touched something that had been dead. Even a dead animal, just to move it off the side of the road, defiled them. It made them unclean. And, and so they had these washing rituals. And one of the washing rituals was when you woke up in the morning, if you had not washed your hands ceremonially, you couldn't eat because they believed that during the night, demons would actually sleep on your hands. And that's what they taught in these writings. Now, have you ever heard that before? I never heard that before. But that's what they believed. And they believed it so much so that when they saw the disciples not washing their hands, they go, whoa, wait a minute. They're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what this whole section is about. Is they're coming up on the disciples and they're going, you guys aren't following tradition. Now, traditions can be good it can be a good expression. We all have traditions. Like, I mean, think of what are some traditions you have in your particular church? Like, there's good traditions. Some, some churches read through the Advent. Some churches say, you know what? We're going to dress up on Sunday mornings. But when that tradition overtakes God's Word, it becomes a problem. For instance, my wife's grandmother... She didn't come to Christ till late in her life. She was in the hospital. The pastor came up, shared the gospel with her, and for the first time in her life, it became real. She'd heard it before, but she never responded. But this time, she responded, and it was authentic because, boy, she went into the Word. She wanted to know it. And as she's reading the Bible, she goes, wow, I want to be baptized. But because of what medical condition she had and some of the stuff going on, she couldn't be immersed in water. Well... She said, can you put something on my head or do something? You know, just sprinkle me or something? Well, that's what somebody did. But 
the pastor at the church that led her to Christ would not let her be a member of that church because according to the policy of that church, you had to be baptized to be a member of the church. And she got really distraught about that. She goes, I don't understand that. Why? I, I want to be... She felt like by not being a member of that church, she really wasn't a true believer. And I'm like, no, Grandma, that ain't the way it is. You're a believer. They just have a weird policy. Because... The thief on the cross wasn't baptized. Should we be baptized? Yes, we should be baptized in obedience. But if somebody has a medical condition that prevents them from being immersed in water, do you not think that God's grace is big enough to cover that? You would think so, right? But you see where tradition and policy and fences get in the way of what God's Word would say. That's exactly what's going on in this passage. Um, And so let's read it. And then we're going to come back and dissect it. And as we read it, I want you to to think about these two principles I shared last week. That God calls us to focus on heart change in our internal spirit. He calls us to focus on heart change in our internal spirit, not on ceremony and tradition. And a lot of times, if you look at every other religion in the world, whether it's Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Islam, they focus on the external and ceremony. It's things you have to do. I mean, listen, you should go with me to India sometimes and see what these Hindu people do at their temples. It's all for show. Because then they leave and they do whatever they want. But it's just all at that temple time. The five pillars of Islam, all the external. Because people do these things and then they go live the way they want behind closed doors. And we do the same thing. We go to church. We put on a face for everybody. Like God is really our king and master, and then we go live the way we want to live because there's no heart change. So he calls us to focus on heart change in the internal spirit. The second thing is he calls us to focus on his word and purity, not traditions and appearance. Sounds very similar, but a little, a little different. Focus on heart change and internal spirit. Focus on his word and our purity. And so let's read this in 15, and then we're going to come back and, and kind of dissect this a little bit. Starting in verse 1. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded... Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father and mother. So for the, state, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophecy of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said, explain the parable to us. 
And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands... This does not defile a person. Two things that really stand out as I read that. The word defile is in there several, several times. That word defile means to pollute. We live in a fairly clean city, fairly clean country. If you really want to understand pollution, all these people that complain about pollution here, go to India, go to the Philippines. You'll see pollution, won't you, Ronnie? You see it. It's, it's strewn off out everywhere over there. People just throw garbage, refuse, whatever. I mean, their waste, human waste, everything, wherever they want to do it. There is no, it ain't like here where there's, there's some compelling by, uh, you know, society pressure not to do that. Like if you were watching, if you were walking out in the parking lot and you saw somebody take this plate, Brian, and just throw it off, what would you think? You'd get upset, wouldn't you? Most people do that because it's built into us. Over in India, I was coming back. We were riding in the car, and I was with Dawa and some guys, and this pastor in the back, and I said, I had a plate just like that. It had some rice still left on it and, and some stuff, and, and I said, um, hey, what do you do with this? He says, I'll take it. So I thought he had a bag. So he just threw it out the window. I'm like, I could have done that. I mean, like he just took it and threw it because stuff's everywhere. It's all over because there's just pollution everywhere and it's, it stinks. Defilement stinks. Pollution stinks. That word is over and over in the second half. The first half really talks about valuing tradition and focusing on the external, not the internal. And, and there's a connection between those two things, guys. When you only focus on the outside... And you don't have a heart change. Ultimately, Jesus said what happens is what's on the inside, if it's defiled, is going to come out. So you can only protect it for so long. You can only have that veneer up, that little plastic part where people can't see what's really in there for so long. It's going to come out. And it may take the right circumstance, but it usually is going to come out. Almost 99.9% of the time, I'd say 100% of the time, God's going to surface it. And so... Jesus comes into this and he and, and they're saying to him, and I love this, Jesus doesn't throw it out first. They come to him, hey, why do your disciples not wash their hands? Now, you got to think about this. They, they came from where? It says they're right up to here. It says they came from Jerusalem. You know where they were? They were at Gennesaret. They were about 50, 60 miles away from Jerusalem. So these guys, it wasn't like they got on a bus or they got in a car and drove. They walked. For 60 miles. You know how long that takes? If you figure you're walking at a pretty good clip, it's about 14, 15 minutes per mile. So it took them a long time. And this is the best they've got because they hate Jesus. And, and they come up to him and they say, hey, why are they not washing their hands? They didn't ask him about any of his miracles. They didn't ask him about any raising people from the dead. They didn't ask him about the feeding of the 5,000, which just happened. They said, hey, why are they not washing their hands? 
Does that not strike y'all? It's, it's kind of, I mean, 60 miles they had to think of a good question for this guy that's supposedly the Messiah, and they hit him with this. And what happens is he comes back and he says, Hey, why do you break the commandment of God? Now, that was a slap in the face. That was a slap in the face to them. And he, but he surfaced it really quick because Jesus didn't shy back. Why do you break the commandment of God? Three times he says it three different ways. He says, for the sake of your tradition, you void, you void the word of God. And then he says, teaching is doctrine, the commandments of God down there, quoting from Isaiah. So basically three times he says, you have elevated what you think is important over what God has stated already is important. Do we do that? Do we do that? All the time. Yeah. You see, when you elevate what you think is important over what God thinks is important, you, you, are, you are trying to put a picture up if you allow your traditions to become idolized. I know people that do it with a lot of different things. I've had people tell me that if I don't teach out of the King James Bible, I'm a heretic and I'm going to hell. I have and so my question for them is, listen, you know what? Do you know what the King James was translated? 1611. So what, had, what about the first 1,500 years? Are all those people going to hell? Because now there's, that, there's... I mean, they didn't use the King James Version. I mean, what about the people that use the Geneva Bible? You know, I mean, it's just ludicrous to think some of the things people say, how they elevate what they think is important. And building these fences around the law in the same way the Pharisees did. They sit up there, well, you know what? If you really were a Christian, you'd wear a coat and tie to church at 11 o'clock on Sunday. Wait, you meet, you meet on Saturday? I don't think that's right. You meet on Thursday? You wear blue jeans to church? You wear gym shorts to church? Now, listen, I get people wanting to bring their best before God. I understand that. And I don't have a problem with telling people, you know what, when I, I'm go, I go to church to be around other believers, I want to dress appropriate. But to tell somebody that that's one of the most important things when it's the inside, the inside stuff hasn't been dealt with yet. You're getting them to focus on the external. We communicate a bad message. To, to have a guy stand up, and I said this last week, who is a glutton and has no self-control when it comes to food, tell somebody because they smoke they're going to hell is wrong. It's just wrong. It's just it's hypocritical, and that's what he's saying to these guys. You elevate this stuff up. Your tradition has become more than important than the word of God and it's wrong they don't focus on heart change and the internal spirit they're just like people they focus on the external ceremony and ritual now listen is there anything wrong with ceremony and ritual no as long as it it points to Christ as long as it points to the word and it's never elevated over him traditions aren't bad but see they got a lot of this from the Old Testament now you got to remember Israel was a theocracy. Civil, moral, and ceremonial law was all tied up. Dave, when they told somebody 
that you could not go into the temple if you were unclean. And somebody, was it a sin for somebody to touch a dead body? Was it a sin for somebody to touch somebody who had, let's say you were bleeding and you rubbed blood on me and all of a sudden I'm unclean. Did I just sin? Or was that just a ceremonial law? You see, it wasn't sin. It was ceremony. And it was a picture. The Old Testament was a picture, according to Hebrews, of what God wants. And that's He wants us to come before Him with purity. And so, He had instituted these ceremonial laws as a picture of what it would be like when we come before God. We should want to come before God with purity. And instead... So often, we Christ is our purity, obviously, but does that relieve us of any responsibility to want to be pure? But it appears like we think that way sometimes. But the Old Testament was just a picture. And if you go back and you look at Hebrews, and Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 9, it says it was a shadow of what's to come, a symbol of what's to come. So God is wanting a heart that's broken he's wanting the lowly and contrite of heart in fact in isaiah 57 he says i dwell in him who is lowly in spirit and contrite of heart jeremiah 24 says i'm going to put a new heart in this person and i read from you last week ezekiel says the same thing he says i'm going to replace their hearts of stone with hearts of flesh in other words their hard heart with a soft heart. God has always been more about the heart change. Always more about the tenderness of heart. So if that's true, why don't we want our hearts to be tender? Why are we so guarded? Why are we so afraid of somebody seeing the ugliness of our heart? Because we're all in the same boat. There ain't a heart in here that's pure apart from Christ. And, you know, uh, he says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, when you come to Christ, you become a new creation. All the old things go away. So, what Jesus is saying is we need to focus on heart change. Can you change your heart, Tom? Can you change your heart? No. The only way you can change your heart is to allow God to do the work in you by being honest with Him about the need for a heart change. You can't do anything to change your heart. That's the core of your being. You, can't, you, you can do all the external stuff and there's people that get caught up. Every other religion gets caught up in external things. But the only person that can change a heart of somebody is who? Yeah. It's only Christ. And the beautiful part about that is it goes back to Ephesians 2. Eight, he says, "What before by grace are you saved? His grace. His grace is the only thing that's going to change your heart. So what do you do when you realize you need a heart change? What should we do? Huh? Yeah. You just go to Jesus. You ask Him, Lord, change my heart. Remember what David said? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Did David love the Lord before he committed sin with that Bathsheba? Yeah, he did. But he needed a heart change. He needed God to come back in because he got distracted. 
There's times in our life, Paul says the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. There's times, even as believers, we struggle and we've got to come back to God. And you know what is the best thing in the world for pointing us in that direction? Is this right here. Because the Bible says this is sharper than any two-edged sword. It will dice and slice you up when you go into it. Because it's like a mirror, James says. When we look at it, we see how insufficient we are. We see how deficit we are in so many areas. And that's why a lot of times we don't like it. Because we know if we're struggling, we read it and we go, Oh, man, I'm messed up. And we don't like being told we're messed up. We're like being told... Man, you're such a great guy. You're awesome. You're so good, Pete. Man, you people are great. Y'all can do great things. You can do anything. We don't like to listen. We need to examine our hearts to see if we're in the faith. We've got to look deep at our own hearts. And, and, and Jesus says, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want you to be that guy. That that is a terrible, terrible place because that's the person who at the end of their life stands before him and he says, depart for I never knew you. And that's terrifying to me. He doesn't want that. He wants us to cry out to him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. He wants us to cry out to Him. He wants us to focus on heart change and the internal. And He wants us to focus on His Word. In verse 10, He says, He called the people to Him. Now, what's interesting about this is, remember all the people wanted to make Him king. And He goes, the only reason you want to follow Me is because I gave you bread. Remember that? And he turns to Peter and says, people start leaving when he starts giving hard teaching. He turns to Peter, you're going to leave? No, Lord, we have no place else to go. But he's calling people to him here and he says this. He says, hear and understand. In the military, when we were getting ready to take a test, they'd say, okay, you want to listen to this? That was our code that that's going to be on the test. And so basically what Jesus is saying, I need you to hear and understand what I'm about to say. This is really important. It's not what goes in to the mouth that makes a person unclean. In other words, they can eat without washing their hands and it doesn't make them unclean. The uncleanness comes from their own heart. And then he goes over at the end of the the passage and he says, out of the heart come these things, evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are the things that defile a person. Guys, if we focus on His Word and our purity, God's going to reveal to us areas that we stray away from His His truth and His plan. And when we see that, what we do is we come before Him, we acknowledge it, we, we talk to our friends about it, the people that are close to us, we have those battle buddies in our life that we can share with, get them to pray with us, and we walk through and we battle through this thing together with a new heart that says, I want to be pure for Him. Now, I just have a question for you to think about this on a scale of 1 to 10. Not your purity, but your desire for purity in the last month. Where has it been? Do you even think about it? 
See, I think most of us just kind of, like in our marriages, we coast. We just coast. But our desire should want to be pure. We, the Bible says, I think it was Paul that wrote about this, is that Christ wants to present this church as a, as a virgin bride, pure. And, and you know what? Every day we struggle. Everybody in this room struggles with thoughts, whether they're sexual immorality, whether it's greed, whether it's selfishness, whether it's anger issues, whether it's just disappointment and, and not caring about what God would want you to care for. We all struggle. But our desire should be to want to be pure. And he says our focus should be on his word. And as we read that, Lord, I want to be pure. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was struggling. I was failing in the way I thought about things. And I just, I said, Lord, I want to be pure. I want to be yours. I want, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm struggling so bad. I'm just really a weak vessel. And I didn't feel condemnation from him. I felt his son say, that's, that's why I did what I did. Doug, that's why I did what I did. Sometimes he drags us along. Sometimes we have to be dragged, just to be honest with you, with life. But understand this, Revelation 21 says, nothing undefiled, nothing polluted is going to enter heaven. It ain't. And He's conforming us to His image. And quite frankly, the best way I've seen that He's done that in my life is through pain. <laughs> I've become more Christ-like when I'm going through pain than any other time of my life. Because I've I become totally dependent on God. When He went to that garden and He took those guys to Him, remember what He said? I am heavy of heart. Come with me and pray a little while. He, he battled. He battled. Here's the thing. Only faith in Jesus through God's Word will purify our hearts, guys. Only faith in Jesus through His Word. The Word points us to Jesus. It shows us our deficiencies. It shows us how we need Him in our life. And you know what it does? It keeps us from being religious fakes. With that desire to be pure and that desire to trust in a Savior that saves you and loves you even though you're not pure and to be your purity for you, it, it really helps you and keeps you from being a religious fakes. In this passage, you see three things about these guys, these religious fakes that I want to point out real quick. One, they're offended by truth. Is Jesus truth? Jesus is truth, right? And what did they say? <laughs> hey, did you know you offended them? People who are religious fakes, they don't want to hear truth. They don't want to hear it. And so when you offer it, they have no desire to do it, and so they shut you off a lot of times. The other things, they're going to be judged. It says very clearly in verse 13, they're going to be judged. He said, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up let them alone you know what that is that's divine judgment right there they're going to be judged and then the third thing is they lead others away from god he says let the blind gods lead the blind both will fall into a pit and the pit they're talking about is hell i've known a bunch of religious fakes i call them posers 
They want everybody to think they've got everything together. But when life falls apart, they can't fake it anymore. They just can't. And guys, it's an awful place to be. I don't want it to be you. I want you to desire heart change. I want myself to always want heart change. Focusing on the internal. Focusing on His Word. And having a desire to be pure. To be pure. Because we don't, we don't want... We really don't want to appear before Him in a way. I mean, we, we, He sees us through Christ, but I don't want to end my life on earth with something, being involved with something that's not good. And so many times that Satan's coming in to try to do that. So i got three questions I want to ask you as we close. In your life, I want you to think about the things that you value in your religious experience. Do you value certain traditions over Scripture? Are there certain things that you that just you go, this makes me feel close to God, and you go, this doesn't. When I read the Bible, I just don't feel anything. And you may not get that warm, fuzzy feeling. If all you do is dabble around with it, and you don't ever really spend time with Him, do, do your traditions reflect and honor God's Word? Is there things that your church may do or you may personally do in your relationship with God that is more based on your tradition than the Word and it, and it kind of almost overtakes the Word in your life? And here's the hard one. Do you care more about what people see than who you really are? That's a tough one. Do you care more about your appearance than your heart? Because for me, I just want my heart changed. I want God to keep changing my heart because it's only from the inside out. When, when He said, love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it starts there. So, thank you guys for, for coming today. I, Tom, will you close our time in prayer? Tonight?